Well, welcome to Canyon Hills. <laughs> Love it. I am so, so glad that you guys are all here. I am so glad that you decided that no matter what happened this week, you were going to put God first. Amen? And so we're here to lift up his name. We're here to hear his word. We're here to cry out to him. Wherever it is that you are today, whatever emotions that you may be feeling, we're here as a body of Christ to put him first. I want to start off by saying this, something that I, that I kind of felt throughout the week. And, and I, I want to be, uh, I'm just going to tell you a few things, not, not to be boastful about what I did this week, but also just to let you know how I feel uh, going into this election. Uh, I started fasting on Monday, and I asked you last week if some of you would join me, and some of you did, and I was very encouraged by that. And throughout the whole week, God was ministering to me by asking me to repent from a few things after thinking I was perfect, of course, and, and he, he led me through this process, and, and he called me to, to fast from social media. I haven't been on social media for a week. I haven't been on any of the major news channels. I, I've just been letting God tell me. Of course, I'm aware of everything that's going on. Uh, because how can you not, right? But I haven't been paying attention to all of that so that I can come this morning and just listen from God and speak of what God has put in my heart. And one of the things that he's put in my heart is that I believe that there's more things that unite us than divide us. For one, we have the word of God that bonds us and links us and makes us one, and we have more in common in that than you think. The other thing that we have in common is that we have Christ in us, working in us, through us, so that we can love one another no matter what our differences are. In 70, 1776, John Adams, Benjamin Franklin, Thomas Jefferson proposed this model. They called it the first great seal of the United States. And it shows an eagle with arrows on one hand and an olive branch on the other hand. And on its beak, it's holding a banner that reads, E Pluribus Unum which is a Latin phrase that means one from many. And, and this phrase offers a, a strong statement of the American determination to form a single nation of people from all walks of life. I'm one of those. Different backgrounds and beliefs. Our country is called the United States the United States of America, and yet here we are. And it goes without saying, I mean, I don't think I have to review, but I will. I mean, we don't have to cheer or we don't have to boo as we go through this. It is what it is. This week we went to the polls and saw that we are actually pretty divided right down the middle, almost 50-50. And for me, and I think you will agree that now we find ourselves as Christians in this very interesting place, and I think we've all been there before, throughout our lives, of course, when we see those, those, those valleys and those storms of life when we're navigating, where we find ourselves at this intersection, this fork in the, wall, uh, fork in the, in the road, if you will, this intersection where our faith intersects with our current reality. And we have to ask ourselves, what are we going to do? How are we going to respond? Will we trust that God holds everything together? Do we believe in Romans 8.28 that says that in all things, God works for the good of those who love him? In all things, God works for the good of those who love him. 
And if we believe in all things, that means that we would believe in Proverbs 3.5 that tells us that to trust in the Lord with all of your heart and do not lean on your own understanding. Some of us need to be reminded not to lean on our own understanding this morning. Psalm 46 tells us to be still and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the nations. God's name will be exalted among the nations. Why? Because you and I will exalt his name. And we just did it this morning among the nations. Hebrews 13 tells us that Christ, Jesus, is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Jesus was the same yesterday. He was the same Tuesday, yesterday, and he will be the same tomorrow. And for many, and I think you will agree, and for me, I can speak for myself, we are overwhelmed with a variety of different, very real and very deep emotions. In fact, I would say that I have some very close and well-respected Christian friends and family on both sides of the political spectrum. But no matter what spectrum you sit on, what side you sit on, maybe it's somewhere in between What I want to say is the same thing that we've been saying through this series, the first week, last week, and this week as well. And that is that no matter who holds office, our God still holds the world. Not just our nation, but the world. And I want to say it again, and I I want you to feel it. Because if you are a Jesus follower, I want you to find hope and comfort in him. Why? Because no one else can bring you comfort and hope in a time like this. We need something different. It cannot be brought by the world. By No one can bring you this type of comfort. What we need this morning can can only come from him. No matter who holds office, our God still holds the world. Now, if you're here and you haven't heard the series that we've had in the past, we are in the series called One Nation. And the first week we talked about and actually realized that if you're a Jesus follower, that this is not our home, that we are ambassadors sent from heaven here on earth to represent him. And last week we talked about one nation under God and and how do we as Jesus followers live faithfully under God in, in a culture that is becoming increasingly hostile towards God. And today I'm going to talk about the word indivisible. Next week is a really, probably the most important message that you're going to hear is next week. And that talks about with liberty and justice for all. You know, the word indivisible actually means unable to be divided or separated, which seems a little ironic this week, you would agree, because obviously we're pretty divided right now, and and we don't have to be. The word indivisible actually represents a value that is very, very deep and very real to Jesus. And I want to show you a prayer that Jesus prayed, and we know because of Scripture that, that Jesus prayed all the time. He prayed without ceasing. He often went out to, and to places alone just to get off and pray on his own. And we, we know that. He prayed everywhere, and he prayed all the time. Yet in Scripture, we have very few recorded prayers that he actually prayed. So when we find one, I think we should pay attention. And it's a Scripture that we read earlier when, when we were singing from John 17. 
And in this part of the prayer, Jesus is praying for, first he prayed for all of his disciples, and then he prays for all of believers, which is you and I. And this is what he says, my prayer is not for them alone. Remember, he just finished praying for the disciples. And he says, I pray also for those who will believe in the message, and believe in me through their message. Now he's praying for you and I as believers. And then it says that all of them may be one. Father, just as you are in me and I am in you, may they also be in me so that the world may believe that you have sent me. I have given them the glory that you gave me, that they may be one as we are one. I in them and you in me, so that they may be brought to complete unity. Then, it says, the world will know that you sent me and have loved them even as you have loved me. What is he saying to them? That they may be what? That they may become, say with me, that they may become one in complete unity or united. That they may be brought to that complete unity. When we, the family of Jesus, are united, when we are one, what happens? Jesus says, then the world would know that you love them and that you've sent me. From the very heart of Jesus, he cries out to his father. And he says, Father, make them one. Unify them. Bond them together. Why? Because when, non-believing, when the non-believing world looks on, they will see their love for one another and recognize God. One of the very few recorded prayers of Jesus, he's crying out for unity for his family. And sadly, you would have to agree that the body of Christ is often a little more divided than united. I mean, in fact, some of, some of the things that we disagree on as a church, and I'm not talking about our church, I'm talking about church with a capital C, the churches, if you will, if you think about it, they're all somewhat of a little silly, the things that we disagree on in our theology. You know, we, we talk about things, should you wear a hat in church? Or can the pastor have a tattoo? Because everyone knows that if you put ink on your body, you go to hell for some reason. I don't know how that came about. And we argue about, should we have traditional worship or should we have contemporary worship? Because everybody knows that God loves hymns in the old days, but today he likes drums for some reason. Somehow his taste changed. So we start to argue about things like that. And today, because of the climate of our country, instead of using those illustrations, I'll talk about some of the things that are dividing us. It's issues like abortion and sexuality and race and immigration and healthcare and taxes and on and on. And first, we need to recognize that we as Christians, that we are not enemies with the church down the street. In fact, the Bible tells us that they're not against you, then they're for you. Those different denominations are not our enemies. Those who worship in a different way are not our enemies. And I'll take that a step further and say that those Christians who voted in a different way from you are not your enemy. We have an enemy. And the Bible gave him his name. His name is Satan. He is a spiritual enemy. And in Ephesians 6.12, Paul reminds us that our struggle is not against flesh and blood, meaning it's not against you and I. It's not in our bodies that we are arguing against or fighting against, but it's against the principalities and the authorities in the spiritual realm. Our enemy comes to steal, kill, and destroy. And when it comes to the family of Christ, 
He would love nothing better than to steal our unity, to kill our churches, to destroy our credibility, because if we stand together, he knows that the world will actually start to see and feel God's love through his people. Our spiritual enemy wants to divide us because he knows that divided that we are weak and ineffective, but if we are united, we are powerful and unstoppable. Jesus prayed, God, bring my family together so that the world will know about your love. And in an incredibly broken and divided environment, we, you and I, the church, folks, listen, we, we are the last stand against all of this. And if you think deep about this and if you put some thought, we realize that in so many regards, okay, this is a generalization, our government is broken. Our society is broken. In many cases, the family unit is broken. Many things are failing. So what's left? The church. We are the last stand against all of this. If we don't practice unity, how else would the world know about God? If we're going to unite and believe in God's mission, we need to recognize that we need each other. In fact, we desperately need each other. We do. We can't significantly impact the world alone. We have no ability to do that. We can barely just do it in our block, let alone the world. We need the whole family of God. That's why I love what Paul writes in Romans chapter 12 when he says, For just as each of us has one body with many members, and these members do not all have the same function. We are many parts of one body. We all belong to each other. And if you haven't heard this metaphor before, what Paul is saying here is that people are actually the body of Christ. That we don't go to church, that we are the church, that every one of you, you're part of that body. And, and I think we all kind of get the comparison because we understand our bodies, right? We, our minds, our hands, our feet, our organs, I mean, our, our entire body, our entire, the parts of the body are working together at all different times for different tasks. Right now, I'm moving my arms, and my mind is telling me to move my arms. I don't know why I do that, but that's what I do when I speak. You are part of a broader body. You just don't go to church. You are the church because you are part of the body. You have something very significant to bring to the body, which I will take this opportunity to tell you that if you're not using your gifts at the church, then something is missing from this church body. Therefore, it is important to do your part so that God's love is experienced in this world. And the good news about that is that we don't, we don't all have the same function. I mean, I'm up here as a pastor, but everybody has a function as well. We don't all look alike. There is power in variety. And the good news this morning is that unity is not the same thing as uniformity. Let me say that again. Unity is not the same thing in uniformity. Unity does not mean that we all have to agree. There is strength in diversity. It's good that we have different parts all the way down to the way the churches function. I mean, our style here at this church, I would emphasize, is different than the church down the street, and for a specific reason. I mean, I'll tell you, I grew up in a very traditional church, and some of you may know what I'm talking about, yet I know that this church has reached thousands of people for Christ and will probably continue to do so. It was amazing. 
but it didn't reach me. All of our members would stand up, sit down, sing the songs every single Sunday. Nothing wrong with that, but it just didn't reach me. And then I remember that my mom felt the same way, so my mom went out and tried out some different churches, and she took me to one, and, and I didn't know it then, but now I know that that church was a, a charismatic church. And I walk in there, and, and people are raising their hands, and they're speaking this language I don't understand. I don't know what they were saying. They were speaking in tongue. I don't mean to poke fun at that. I just didn't get it. They were dancing, and it just freaked me out. Then the pastor started preaching, and here's what's crazy. You know, he, he has this message, and he's, he's not looking at any notes. He's just preaching from his heart, and he's telling you, repent from the kingdom of heaven is near. And he's just, you know, if you could be forgiven of your sins, if you just uh, give your life to Jesus, and, and, I, and I'm scared to death. I'm only 12 years old. I'm like, what is this guy talking about? And then he makes what they call an altar call, which they call you up to the front to be saved. And I don't know, but I'm responding, and my feet are walking. I almost have no control over it. And then I realize that I'm not the only one. I look around, and there's more people walking to the front. And at this point, it's too late. I can't turn back. Everybody's moving forward. And as a 12-year-old, I have no idea what's happening. And I notice that the pastor is going to people, and he's touching their foreheads, and they all fall backwards. Have you guys ever seen that before? So that he comes to me, and he touches my forehead, and I didn't know I was supposed to fall, so I didn't. So he tries a little harder and gives me a little nudge a little further to, to try to get me to go down. And I'm like, I'm still not going down. And then I realized I could be here all day, so I better go down right now. I'm totally not kidding. This is exactly what happened. Have you guys noticed that this church is a little different? This is a little different style than that. And yet I got saved at a charismatic church. Apparently, that was a very effective way to reach a stubborn 12-year-old. I needed it, except for the falling part. I'll still resist that. We have strength in diversity. We don't all need to look the same. We don't need to all have the same emphasis on what you do. Unity is not the same thing as uniformity. And here's what we need to understand if we're going to talk about denominations. We can't all be Baptists first. We can't all be friends first. We can't all be Catholics first. We are not Methodists first. We are not Democrat Christians first or Republican Christians first. We are Jesus followers first. Amen? We are Jesus followers first. No matter who is in office, our mission here, it doesn't change. Our mission unites us. Jesus says, go into all the world, making disciples of all the nations, baptizing them, and teaching them to obey all my commands. He gave us the what, and that's the gospel. He gave us the where, and that's the whole world. But notice he didn't give us the how. Because the message never changes, but the methods have to change. There is strength in our diversity. And I don't know about you, but I serve a big God who has a big family, a lot of different expressions of worship, and a lot of different ways to get, to, the, you know, to get the job done. We cannot reach everybody by ourselves. We need each other. We desperately need each other. The second thing I would tell you is that we're going to stand for what matters most. Let me explain that a bit. In, in other words, we're, we're going to err on the side of being for and not against. 
And here's the bottom line for me. If I'm going to make a mistake about somebody, another Christian, I'm going to make a mistake believing the best instead of assuming the worst. I'm just going to try and believe the best about other people. And it takes some work because it's not easy for me, and I don't think it's natural for the rest of us either. And I will tell you, we as a church, we don't just build our ministry around what we're against. We don't, we don't write stuff as like, this is what we're against. Come join our church. No, we build it on what we're for. Look at those four pillars. What are we for? We pursue Christ. We unleash compassion. We build community. And we equip Christ followers. That is what we are for. You guys can clap. Amen. Now, oftentimes we point at other Christians in our head, of course, and we think and we say things like, I'm glad I'm not like them. And then we go on to state who we are. You know, in the church world, to give you an example, we say things like, hey, we're not like one of those boring churches. You know, we, we, we have people come to Christ here or look at our missions program. It's one of the best programs around. They don't even go anywhere over there. And then we say how great we are, right? Don't do that. Just be who you are. Don't tell me who you're not. Just be passionate about who you are. I mean, somebody can say that about our church. Hey, we're not like Canyon Hills where they teach a topical sermon and they play rock music. You know, we go book by book. We dive deep into the scriptures. You don't have to tell me who you're not. Just be who you are. Be passionate about who you are. And this is so important because these ideas reflect in us and then into our churches. And then we start to de defining ourselves by what we're not. And then the world looks on and then they're against, well, this church is against this, this, and that. And they're like, well, we don't want any part of that. All they do is tell me what I can't do. And don't get me wrong, there's some issues that we need to be incredibly passionate about. I have my convictions as well, and I think you do as well. But when it reflects the love of God, they're going to see all the beautiful things that we stand for instead of seeing the few things that we stand against. And just in case you're wondering what we stand for, we are first for the love of Jesus. We are for healing we are for reconciliation, we are for peace, and we are for grace. In fact, 2 Corinthians 5.12 says, Christ gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That means that when there's an argument online, you don't have to go in there and contribute to the hate. You don't have to be a negative voice. In fact, the little influence that I have, I'm going to use it to unify rather than divide. You don't have to respond and spew hateful opinions and call out. In some cases, call out the very people that you love. You don't have to throw a punch. You can disagree. Just do it with gentleness and respect. That's biblical, by the way. You can disagree, but we're not just Americans. We are Christ followers first, so we pray and we love first. And if you're here this week and you feel like you won and you feel excited, just, just do me a favor. Just don't play the guard, you know, the God card and just go and spike the ball on the end zone because nobody likes that guy or gal. So don't be that guy. Don't be boastful. Don't walk around with your chest puffed up and say, hey, we won. We're Jesus followers and we are loving. We know what we're for. We're for repentance. We're for healing. We're for reconciliation. Yeah, we'll take a stand. We will. We'll have to. The time is coming when we'll have to, have to take a stand. 
but we are going to be known for what we stand for. In fact, I love what D.L. Moody said. He wrote, you may find hundreds of fault finders among professed Christians, but all of their criticism will never lead one solitary soul to Christ. We need each other. So let's stand for what matters most. But let me tell you what should be the cry of our hearts this morning. Let me tell you what the cry of my heart is this morning. And that is that we would love like Jesus loved. We're going to love like Jesus loved. John chapter 13, Jesus said, A new command I give you, love one another as I have loved you, so you must love one another. By this, and there it goes again, everyone will know that you are my disciple if you love one another. No, he's saying, I know you've been following the law, Moses' law, which is about 613 commands. But here's one for you. Love one another. And he just throws them for a loop, and they're like, what? How deep is that? By this, by how you love, he says, by how you love, they will know that you are my disciple by how you love one another. Notice that Jesus didn't say, by your political stance, they will know that you are my follower. They didn't say, by your political post. He said, by how you love one another. Again, what's interesting to me is that Jesus didn't say, be right. He said, be loving. He didn't say, you have to be right. In fact, we can't all be right. I know I try to be right all the time, and my wife reminds me that I'm not. but we can all be loving all the time. They're going to know that you are my disciples by the way you love one another. Do we have strong opinions? Absolutely. I have some myself. How do we express them? In love. Because the Bible says that love covers a multitude of sins. So here's what I recommend you do this week. Comfort those who are sad right now. Reach out to those who are broken. Here's a hard one. Go to dinner with somebody who's very different than you. If you invite me to dinner, I'm going to be totally offended. (laughs) I'm kidding. Love those who feel marginalized. Let me tell you what's in my heart. I think the world is getting tired of hearing about the love of Jesus and not seeing it. When they see it lived out, when we're one, they'll know that God sent his son. Let me tell you about my Jesus. I think we can unite around this as a church. This is the Jesus that we follow. This is the God that we profess to be king. This is the God that we're all here for, that we cry out to, that we pray to that we exalt. Let's unify around this message. That the living Son of God, who was born without sin, came to earth, full of grace and truth, love and mercy, to save you and me. That he is Emmanuel. Praise be to Jesus, huh? He is Emmanuel, God with us. 
He is the Lord of glory, the great I am, the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. He is soon returning, conquering, King of kings, Lord of lords. He is the word made flesh, chosen, anointed, son of the most high God. He is the good shepherd, the living vine, the bread of life. He is my refuge, my shield, my righteousness. He is the defender of the weak. Oh, I'm not done. He is my advocate sitting on the right hand of the Father, interceding even right now for all of you. He is the way, the truth, and the life. He guards and he guides. He hears and he heals. He forgives and he frees. He makes the lame walk and the blind see. He raises people from the dead. He delivers the captives. He defends the weak. His love never fails. There is nothing you can do to cause him to love you more. There is nothing you can do to cause him to love you less. My Jesus is the one that Satan couldn't stop. Death could not hold him. The grave could not contain him. He is risen from the dead that whoever calls on the name of the Lord would be saved, forgiven, transformed, and made new. Amen. Folks, our, our mission is too important. And our time here on earth is too short. We don't have time for fights and arguments. Stand tr strong with what you believe. Be passionate about the issues. Whether you vote right or you vote left or you, love, you vote right down the middle, it doesn't matter. We will love right down the middle. Even if you agree or disagree politically, our mission unites us spiritually. We stand together to lead people to become fully devoted followers of Christ. We must realize that life is not about us. We reflect, reflect His glory. We reflect His goodness. Yes, we have deep values. Yes, we believe them deeply. But over and above everything else, we worship the King of kings and the Lord of lords. Pray with me. Lord, today I pray that you, who is the only one that can do it, Father, would unite us. Lord, even though we have differences, we have a common mission. Lord, unite us around that great mission you call us to do, to show your love no matter what around the world. Father, those that are hurting today, comfort them, Father. Father, even those who are grieving, Father, we recognize that we don't grieve as those who have no hope, for our hope is in you. Lord, we trust in you. We declare, Father, that we trust in you no matter who holds office. Lord, we know that you hold the world. And Father, we ask that you would help us with our unbelief. Lord, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. May your will unify us. God, as Jesus prayed, Lord, may we become one. Lord, help us to respond to this amazing prayer that Jesus had for us. And if God is speaking to you right now, compelling you to just lay your differences aside and just to be unified and just say that you want to be united around this one mission, 
to make more and better disciples of Jesus Christ. Yes, we can have strong opinions and beliefs, but we want to first say that Jesus is the Son of God and that you want to make him known to all the world. And if that's you, would you just, just lift up your hand right now with all heads bowed and eyes closed? Just lift it up. I see your hand. You can put it down. I just want to pray for you. See your hands. Father, I pray to that by the power and the work of the Holy Spirit that you will do a significant work in our hearts. God, help us, Father, to unite. Help us to show love in ways that even take us out of our comfort zones. Father, may people know that you are in us, working in us and through us. We thank you. Lord Jesus, Father, unite us around his lordship, unite us against his splendor, unite us around his death and resurrection. Lord, we need you this morning. And we pray these things in the powerful name of Jesus. Amen.